Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you tired yet? Are you a little bit sick of being at home yet? I have to admit, for somebody who has spent at least 90 to 100 days of the last six years on the road, uh, it's been a little bit weird being at home this long and not seeing kind of any end in sight. I'm not sure uh, if any of one of our friends from the Caymans have joined us this morning, but uh, I did just read the announcement that their borders will be closed till September 1st. So definitely no trips to the Caymans this summer. And I imagine the same is gonna be happening with Jamaica, Puerto Rico. We're even restricted on travel between regions. Those of us who would like to leave Montreal are wondering what kind of reception we might get if we stop at the gas station up at Mont-Tremblant or even out in Sherbrooke or the Eastern Townships. This is weird. Are you ready to go back to church yet? I've gotten more and more emails and WhatsApp messages from people asking about the Lord's Supper, and I have to admit that warms my heart. It's great to know that people are missing the sacrament because we should be. We should be missing the fact that we can't join together and partake of our Lord's body and blood, which is the sacrament he instituted for our union, for our fellowship with each other. So, of course, some of us by email on the Altar Guild and the elders and the council have been talking about what this would look like if we start joining together for small services. How do we space each other out? What do we do for hand sanitizer? How do we handle communion vessels? How many people could come? What will be the timing of this? In some ways, it feels a little bit like we're homeless, at least from a church point of view. We're kind of doing the ecclesial equivalent of meeting under highway overpasses and in parks, trying to stay warm and dry and asking each other, when do we get to go home? It's like that super, super, super long vacation, maybe that was a lot longer than you intended it to be, where you're just longing to go back to your own bed, to be in your own kitchen where you know where all the utensils are and the plates and everything, to be in your own living room in front of your own television. Are you ready to go home yet? This morning's text is about a home, and it's about places in that home. And many of us know this reading from John chapter 14 from having heard it at so very many funerals. In my father's house are many rooms, but we're not so what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and for me. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so in many ways, this is not just a wonderful text for funerals, it's a perfect text for the times in which we find ourselves right now. Times when we are displaced from our church buildings and don't know when we'll be back. Except that we do have to wonder, is, is Jesus actually talking about buildings here? About places, about structures? The interesting thing about scripture is it's actually a book about homelessness. Maybe you've never thought about it that way, but if you go back to the very beginning and read all the way through, homelessness is one of those themes that appears over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve, our very first parents, get kicked out of their first home. And it's their fault. They've led 
us into this homeless situation by having done the thing that God told them not to do, which was really to trust him. And they chose not to trust him and so found themselves out of the garden and out of their first home. Noah, just a few chapters later, is really homeless, living on a houseboat of sorts for a while before he finds that everything that he knew and appreciated before the flood is gone and gets so distraught by the whole thing that the only thing he can think to do is plant a vineyard, grow some grapes, make some wine, and get drunk. It sometimes happens with those who find themselves discombobulated and out of their normal home. People of Babel thought they'd build themselves a tower. They're going to make a name for themselves. Now we know who we are and where we are. And instead, God comes down and frustrates their languages so that they all end up being homeless, wandering over the surface of the earth, trying to find a place for themselves. And a particular note for our gospel for this morning is Abram, later to become Abraham whose whole arc, whose whole story in Genesis, starting at Genesis 12, begins with him being asked to become homeless. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. In other words, leave your father's house and go to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's kind of a late phase in life to decide to go on the road and leave everything that you knew behind and basically become a man in a tent. God, too, was a God of tents. He was in a tent that was made for him out in the wilderness while all the gods of the nations, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Babylon, had great and elaborate temples built for them. And finally, after hundreds of years, when a king of Israel is raised up to give God a house, a building, something permanent so that he would have a home, Solomon dedicates the place and says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him, how much less this house that I have built. And of course, after Solomon, the people of Israel fall into sin and end up being a nation without a home. The northern tribes being dragged into exile in Babylon, or in Assyria, basically, and the southern remaining tribes of Judah and Benjamin and the remaining Levites eventually being exiled in Babylon. Whole nation without a home. So you get the picture. Don't want to dwell on it too, too much more. But we have to ask ourselves the question in that context, is Jesus in this discourse with the last disciples talking about a house? Or perhaps is he talking about something more? In my father's house are many, some of you know the King James, know it as mansions. Or our translation rooms. But the Greek word that underlies all of that is the verb meno, which is a verb that means to abide, to stay. A dwelling place might be the best translation, an abiding place. And yes, this is exactly the same verb that appears in the encounter of Jesus with the two disciples in Emmaus. Lord, 
minnow with us, abide with us, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. There's another word in Greek for rooms or for uh, an inn or an upper room. We could talk about a katalema, for example. That's where Jesus didn't have a place back in Bethlehem and where he goes to send the disciples to create a place that they might celebrate the Passover. But that's not the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus says he goes to prepare an abiding place for us because in his father's house, our true father's house, there are many abiding places. Many places that we may not call a house, but we will absolutely 100% call a home. This text you see, John 14, is, is not about a specific place, a geographic place, something of bricks and mortar and iron and steel and windows. It is about being at peace. It's about being with a person. And so let's go back to the gospel. John chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, Jesus says, If I go and prepare an abiding place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the whole point. It's, it's about being with Jesus. It's about wherever this place might be, it is an abiding place because it's the place where our Lord, who suffered and died for our sins and rose again from the grave for us, will also be. And wherever Jesus is, that's where his followers also want to be. Now, Thomas is confused. That's why Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. We don't have the X on the map. We don't have the coordinates that our GPS tracker can take us to. So how can we know the way? And Jesus finally has to turn to him and say, I am the way. The way is not some road that leads to me. I am the road myself. The truth is not some destination that I will point you to. I am, in fact, the truth. And life is not something that I can give to you. It is something that you will actually find in me. That's why the encounter, by the way, between Jesus and Pontius Pilate is so powerful. When Jesus says to him that I have come to testify to the truth, and Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus doesn't say anything, but he does stand there right in front of Pilate because he is the truth. He is the abiding place that he wants even Pilate to come and find a home in. You see, Jesus has never been about a place. The gospel is about a person and a promise. And that is established all the way back at the beginning of John's gospel, where Jesus appears to John in the wilderness, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he says it again, and two disciples finally get it, and they're like, okay, we're going to follow this man. And they come, and they say to Jesus, well, Jesus first turns and says to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's a place question. 
Where's the house? Where's the, the X on the map? Where are the GPS coordinates? But Jesus says to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they abided with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus staying? What did the house look like? Was it big? Was it small? Were they in the upper room? Did it have nice furniture? Was it Ikea furniture or was it Bro and Martineau furniture? We don't know. And that's the point. We don't know where Jesus was because the fact of the matter was the disciples were with Jesus and therefore they were where they needed to be. They were abiding with him. They found a place. Or if you even go further back, just a few verses earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, where we have in the prologue those beautiful words we hear every Christmas. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you do not know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The temple of God, ultimately, as Solomon kind of understood when he prayed that big prayer that we just talked about a few minutes ago, is not a place. It was never meant to be a building. The temple of God is a person. And it's Jesus. And we find our abiding place when we are in him. That's why the disciples were so utterly confused at first when Jesus cleansed the temple and the Jews came to him and said, what sign will you perform to show that you have the authority to do these things? And Jesus says to him, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days, not understanding that the body, the temple he was talking about is his body because that is the temple of God. And so when Jesus says, I will come back, it's not just to lead us by the hand to some place. It's not to take us to a location. It's so that we can be with someone, and that someone is Jesus. Now the question is, how does that help us today? in this whole Zoom thing that we're doing. This is, by the way, the two-month anniversary of doing services long distance like this. It's my 15th online service. If you had told me a year ago that I was gonna be a televangelist, I would have laughed at you, but here we are. So how does all this discussion in John 14 help us in this place where we are? Well, I think it's profoundly helpful because it reminds us that to be God's people is to focus more on person than on place. It's to see in Jesus the one who is the way, the one who is the Father's face, and the one who is our abiding place, wherever we find ourselves staying. I know my wife always gets angry, and I use these illustrations, but I do see the Holy Spirit at work in all sorts of things in trying to raise people's attention to these great and profound facts. And so I refer back to a Canadian video game I played a while ago. 
it's a sequel to a, a first game and you meet an, an old friend, you end up having a discussion. The two of you go back and forth. And if you're drawing the discussion out to the very, very end, trying to get your friend to reveal why they're still on the ship that you find yourself on. What, what are you doing here? Why didn't you just retire and go about your life? Why, why are you still fighting this battle? They finally admit that they're there because you're there. And that there's something about being with your main character, whose name, by the way, is Shepard, that brings peace. It's not about the ship, they say. It's about being with the person, being with the people and finding in you rest. Jesus is that rest. Jesus is, in the words of that character in the video game, our immovable center. The one with whom we find ourselves when we find ourselves homeless and realize that we were never homeless at all because wherever Jesus is and wherever we are with him, we have an abiding place. We have a place where we can stay and catch our breath. We have a place in the presence of the Father. And so Jesus promises that when he returns, he's not gonna take us to a building it's not going to take us to a geographic location, although it will be all those things. Most importantly, he will take us to be with himself, that where he is, we may be also, and that together we might abide forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.